Uh, we're going to continue on uh, this morning in our series on the in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to be uh, in various different parts of the Bible this morning, so we're not going to have a specific Bible reading as such, but if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 36, we will certainly be uh, focusing there on uh, some verses in that, uh, in that passage, Ezekiel 36, 22 through to 27. And as you're turning there, allow me just to commit this time to the Lord. Gracious God, we just ask now that, uh, Lord, may the, uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning be uh, pleasing and acceptable to you, our gracious God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have been, uh, over the past few weeks, been going through this series on the Holy Spirit. I hope that you've been encouraged by it. I hope that you've been challenged by it. Uh, it is a, a tremendous uh, subject to be uh, focusing on the person of, and the work of the Holy Spirit within each of our lives. Did you know this morning that it is only 66 days until Christmas? That's a little over nine weeks. Now, some of you are really, really excited about that. And for others of you, you're going, oh, really? Yes, I know. And for those of you with kids, you may already have started sort of thinking about buying presents and that sort of stuff as well. Maybe you, uh, you know, are really ahead of the game. You've already done your lay-by shopping at Big W or Target. You know the big toy sale they have in the middle of the year and that sort of stuff. You've got them all safely packaged away. But I wonder if you've done that or if you are thinking about buying or you, you have bought presents for your children, have you checked the box for these incredibly important words batteries not included have you done that batteries not included i've been told stories of children who have come christmas morning who have excitedly ripped off the wrapping paper of their gifts and have have gone to open their gift and there it is all in bright shining array in front of them only to discover there in fine print right at the bottom batteries not included and then, of course, for the parents who have seemingly overlooked that themselves, it's a suddenly this huge, big uh, kind of, you know, turn the place upside down looking for batteries for this particular toy. And, of course, if you're like me, it's most likely one of those toys that takes eight D-sized batteries. And anyone who's got eight spare D-sized batteries in your house, I tip my hat to you. Or perhaps even one of these even more rarer species of batteries, the 9-volt rectangular battery. And of course, you know, it couldn't be a common AA-sized battery, could it? Never. But having turned the place upside down to no avail, then it's often then a mad trip to where? The 7-Eleven. The only place that's open on Christmas morning where you've got any likelihood of getting a battery. And of course, you there join all the, the queue of all these other parents who themselves <laughs> have forgotten about the batteries not included. Mm. How frustrating to have this brand new toy only to discover that it's useless without battery power. Thankfully, though, when it comes to living the Christian life, to our salvation in Jesus Christ, when it comes to living the Christian life, God gives us this gift, thankfully, with the necessary power to live it as he intended. The gospel comes with batteries included, namely the Holy Spirit. And if you're hashtagging that today, there's a good one for you. The gospel comes with batteries included. All right, for you younger people, I know some of you older folk are thinking, what on earth is he talking about? I know. You know, when it comes to the Christian life, it really, you know, it's not just about adding God or Jesus to our lives. It's not about just sort of, you know, just adding them in. The Christian life is not 
about asking Jesus to join us in our life's journey. I love it as one particular Christian author puts it. He says, Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to follow us. Mm. He did not die on the cross to follow us. When Jesus, in fact, calls us, he calls us to follow him. And our lives then become about his purposes, about his mission, about his kingdom values. See, in the Gospels, Jesus says these words to his followers, recorded for us in Luke 9, 23 and 24. He says to them, if anyone would come after me, this is for anyone who would be a disciple of Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him or her deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, it said, Jesus says that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And of course, that means that we no longer rule our lives ourselves, that we turn away from pursuing our own selfish desires, but instead we live now how God seeks to have us to live. That's, in fact, folks, is what repentance is all about, a key part of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It is turning away from our own selfish desires, our own selfish ruling of our lives, and instead turning to God and acknowledging him and that his ways are right and good and that we have to submit our authority to him. When Jesus says, take up our cross... It means more than having to endure those daily troubles and trials of life. You know, the, uh, the, the common saying, you know, where someone is, is bearing their cross, it's, you know, sort of bearing those, all those hardships and difficulties and frustrations and things that we, that we struggle with in our lives. But Jesus is talking more about that here. When he says, take up your cross, he means it is a call to a radical, obedient faith in Jesus Christ. He's calling us to be willing to suffer anything and forsake everything for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. That's a pretty challenging call, isn't it? He, 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 he calls us to suffer anything and to forsake everything for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. An example of that is this. Jesus calls us to love those who we do not usually feel love for. In fact, Jesus calls us to love those who we may not like for whatever reason. He calls us to love those, those who might even seek to do us harm. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 47, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had these words to say about the kind of love. He said, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, God is gracious to all. But if you love those who love you and you only love those who love you, then what reward then do you have? I mean, don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus is saying, you know what? The world loves, you know, the world can show love to one another. 
the world can show you know, quite, uh, quite impressive and wonderful love to those around about them. And God says, Jesus says, the love that we are to have as his followers is actually to stand out even above that kind of love, the love of the world. It is to be of a different calibre and a different quality to the love of the world. One of the examples I saw just in recent times, you might have been aware that uh, there was a, a trial in the States, a female police officer had come home one night uh, and entered into her apartment, what she thought was her apartment, and saw an intruder in there and uh, shot that person dead. It turned out that, it, in fact, she'd actually gone to the wrong floor of her apartment building and walked into this person's uh, room, into his house, and shot him. And she was, on she was put on trial for that. And uh, it was a, uh, an African-American man. And, of course, it was all through the media over there. And at her trial, after she was sentenced, uh, what the, the brother of the man who she had killed uh, approached, asked the judge if he could approach the, uh, the judge's bench. And he said to the judge, Judge, with the lady's permission, would it be okay if I offered my forgiveness and a hug to this lady? And to say to her that if she puts her faith and trust in Jesus, that even this sin can be forgiven. And that's what, she, that's what he did. This, this, this brother of this man, and, and these brothers were incredibly close. He actually was able, in, the, in the, the power of the Spirit working in his life, able to embrace this lady and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. And Jesus will forgive you too if you put your faith and trust in him. That's the kind of love that Jesus calls us to love with. Pretty, pretty impressive. But you know, and I think we're all aware that we cannot live this kind of life and love with that kind of love in our own strength, can we? We can't do it. We need God's Spirit. We need God's Holy Spirit to produce this kind of life within us as God's people. In Ezekiel 36, 22, 27, we see God speaking to his people there in the Old Testament. And he had called them to, uh, to follow after him and to walk in his ways and to, sh and to be uh, a shining example to those around about them of uh, the, the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God and to live lives that honour God in that way. But of course, they had failed time and time and time and time again. In Ezekiel 36, 22 to 27, God says these words. He says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take, from the take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And look at these verses, verses 26 and 27. And God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
and I will put my spirit, my Holy Spirit, capital S there, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules or commands. Isn't it amazing that here are the people who have profaned the name of God by the way that they've lived, who have brought God's name into disrepute amongst the nations. And God says, I am going to vindicate my holy name. I'm going to show the world how, what a great and mighty and holy and awesome God that I am. And you know how God was going to do that? Through those same people who profaned his holy name. God says, through you, through you, I will vindicate my holiness before the people's eyes. Isn't that amazing? You would think that, that God would have, would have written these people off. You know, he said, you know, time and time, I've sent my prophets time, you know, for, for hundreds of years. I've sent my prophets to call you back to me and you've ignored them. You've killed them. You've ignored me. You've dragged my name through the mud time and time and time again. Surely you would think that God says, I've had enough of you. I'm going to choose to use someone else. But God says, no, it is through you that I will vindicate my holy name. And folks, we today are like the people of God in the Old Testament who ourselves have dragged God's holy name through the mud in whatever ways. And we have turned our backs on God and we've rebelled against God. And we've rejected him and we've rejected his authority over him. But God says, my plan has been and will always be to vindicate my holy name through my people through us and he's going to do it by giving us a new heart through the indwelling Holy Spirit he's going to accomplish this through this work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what we see t taking place at Pentecost there in, in Acts chapter 2 where the Spirit came in power this is by the way Pentecost is the fulfillment of what God is saying here and when what happened to what took place at Pentecost and the spirits indwelling then of, of all who repent and believe in Jesus since that time, that is the fulfillment of God's promise here in Ezekiel 36 and other promises that we see in passages like Jeremiah 33. And the theological term for this, this spirit transforming work is the term sanctification. You might have heard that before. Sanctification. That word sanctification comes from the same root word as the term holy. Let me just take that off the screen now. There was, I didn't skip over to Ezekiel 36, did I there? But there it is. I, that's the reason why I asked you to open your Bibles earlier so you could read along with me. All right. What took place at Pentecost and in the, the lives of all who have, uh, who have now indwelled by the Spirit of God through repentance and faith in Jesus since that time that is a fulfilment of God's promise in these Old Testament passages. As I said, the Spirit's transforming work is called sanctification. It comes from the same root word as the term holy and another word meaning to make. Therefore, this process of sanctification in the life of the believer is to make us holy, to make the believer holy. And of course, to be holy means to be separate to be called out, to be set apart for God and for him and for his special purposes. 
And this is the God's purpose for all of us as disciples of Jesus Christ, to be holy. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. It says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That is, before you knew Jesus. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God's purpose is for his children to be holy children as he is a holy God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, we read these words. The Apostle Paul writing, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. In other words, you received the gospel, you responded to that. We've given you now the revelation of God as to how you are to live as children of God. You receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. In other words, don't just be content just to sort of be walking you know, in that way from time to time, but we are to grow in this holiness. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And then Paul writes, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, a big part of God's will, is for your, for the God's will for your life is that we be sanctified. Our sanctification. And what does that look like? Paul goes on to say that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. God has called us to holy lives. Now let me point out that this is only part of the story that we grow in this holiness because you see when a first person first comes to a saving faith in Jesus Christ when a person confesses their sin repents by turning away from their sinful ways and turning towards Jesus in faith by accepting Christ's death and resurrection as their sacrifice for sin that person is then declared by God to no longer be guilty but righteous that person who does this, they are no longer under the condemnation and judgment of a holy and righteous God, but they are declared by God to be already holy. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, these words here. It says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. Paul here is talking to the Corinthian believers, but he's talking about believers you know, to, to everyone who's put their faith and trust in Christ. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, all past tense, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Holy Spirit does this in our lives. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, which says, says we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And we know, and, so, and by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. See that word, have been sanctified? It is a past tense, something which God has already done. It is an irreversible event 
wherein Christ's single offering, he has perfected for all time those he came to save. In Hebrews 10, 14, we see that as well. This means that our standing before God can neither be lost nor can it be improved upon. Get that, folks, in our heads today. That as followers of Jesus, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, your standing before God can neither be lost nor improved upon in any way, shape or form because Jesus has done it all already. And because of him, you now stand before God, holy and righteous in his sight, declared by him to be these things. You are these things. Our obedience or our failure to obey cannot change the fact that we are God's holy and righteous children. This is what Jesus has accomplished for us through his death and resurrection and which we enter into by faith in Jesus. Folks, this is who we are in Jesus Christ. And it's what we might call positional sanctification. Okay, that position that we have been given in Christ through faith in him. One commentator gives this helpful illustration. He says, when I was living overseas for 10 years, a friend of mine who was raised as a missionary kid in Africa told me the true story about his missionary father who while on the road one day encountered a man who had a young boy chained to him as a slave. And this missionary's father was moved and offered to purchase the boy out of slavery. And the man accepted his price. And so the boy went home with his new father who had adopted him and raised him and loved him as his very own son. Folks, this is a picture of the gospel. In this story, we should see how the, the, obvious, um, the obvious illustration as to how we too have been purchased by our Lord Jesus out of slavery to sin and death. And that we've been adopted as children of God. And like the boy whose chains were taken away, were, were broken, and who now belongs to a new family, as children of God, we don't go back to our old life of slavery, but instead we seek to find our newfound identity in the life and, uh, of Jesus Christ and in the life of our new family. And we conform then our lives around that new status, not in order to become children, but because we are God's children. As I said, that status of being children cannot be improved upon, but we do conform more and more to the likeness of our new family. And we work out experientially that which we already are legally in God's sight. Martin Lloyd-Jones has got a really wonderful quote about this. He says, Holiness is not something we are called upon to do in order that we may become something but rather it is something that we are to do because of what and who we already are. We have been sanctified, but we are also being sanctified. It's an already but not yet scenario like our salvation. We have been saved, we are being saved, and one day we will experience the fullness of that salvation. We will be saved. And so this brings us, of course, to what's referred to as progressive sanctification. We're going to sort of work through this fairly quickly, all right? So positional sanctification, who we are in Christ, that's established. There's no disputing that in any way, shape or form. But because of who we are, we then live in a certain way. 
And it's God then working that out in our lives on a day-to-day basis, what we call progressive sanctification. This refers, of course, to the work of God in and through us, making us more and more like Jesus in our day-to-day lives, conforming us to what God has already secured for us in Christ. And as the name suggests, it involves that gradual, incremental and spiritual work of both putting to death the remains of indwelling sin in our lives, but it also involves the putting on of the likeness of Christ in our lives. Paul refers to this as, as, as putting on and taking off like clothes, for instance, in Ephesians 4, chapters, uh, verses 2 to 4. And so while we work out this salvation given to us, given to us by seeking to obey Christ and his word, it is also God at work in us, both to will and to work for his sovereign good pleasure. Again, we've seen that in Philippians 2, 12 to 13. I hope those verses are familiar to you today. So how does God do this? How does God then work out you know, this, uh, this, this ongoing sanctification? It is the Holy Spirit, God says, who helps us to know and to understand the word of God and what it means to obey it. But then, not only that, the Holy Spirit then gives us the ability to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Beautiful passage that you might want to reflect on a bit later on is Romans 8, particularly verses 12 to 14, speaks very much about that. But of course, sadly, because of our fallen sinful nature, our fallen sinful nature, we can never fully be rid of sin in our lives. We're all aware of that, aren't we? We're very much aware of that. In fact, we will always have this ongoing battle in our lives between our new nature in Christ and our old sinful nature. Paul talks about that in Romans 7 when he says, you know, the good things that I wish to do, they're the stuff I don't do, and the stuff that I don't want to do, that's the stuff I do do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He does through his spirit. We can have victory, folks. We do not need to live in this helpless state of being victims of our sin. But we can have victory over the various sins in our lives and we can become more Christ-like in our lives. That is the promise of God to us. And he's given us his spirit to ensure that. And the way we do it is by focusing our hearts and minds on Christ and on his ways as revealed in his word and surrendering more and more to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Kevin DeYoung, reflecting on this, he's another author and pastor, Uh, He says this, he says, The Holy Spirit is like a light shining into our dark places, exposing our sin and leading us to repentance. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is also a lamp to illumine God's word, teaching us what is true and revealing to us what is precious. And it is the Holy Spirit who throws a spotlight on Christ. He throws his spotlight on Christ so we can see his glory and beauty and therefore be changed accordingly. Because this is, in fact, the stunning argument that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and I'll pull it up here on the, on the screen again for you. Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and he says, And we all, this is all believers, we all with unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Of course, Paul is reflecting back on here about Moses. When Moses had appeared before God there on Mount Sinai and then there in the tabernacle, when God had appeared to Moses in the tabernacle, Moses would come away from those experiences and his face would glow, literally glow. This glow so much that he had to put a veil over it because it scared the people. And what Paul is saying here, that just as Moses had had his face transformed when he saw the glory of the Lord, he says, so we will be transformed when we behold God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And we will grow more and more into the image of the one whom we gaze upon. What Paul is saying here is we become what we behold. Heard a really quite good illustration about this this uh, this week. You know, if we think about our lives and the sin in our lives, if we think about it in terms of a, a cup, you know, have you ever tried? Uh, this might be so, a, a silly thing, and you might think that I'm a, I'm a bit a bit silly with this, but have you ever tried to suck the air out of a cup? Yeah, there's a few nods around the place, so I'm not as there's a thought always. You know, something. You know, if you get a cup and you've got the, the, the air in the cup and you, you can put a, like a, a layer or two of, of cling film of glad wrap over it and that sort of thing and maybe sort of have a straw there and try to suck, suck the air out. And no matter how hard you try, you can never suck all the air out, can you? Okay? There's always going to be air left in the cup. It's a bit like our lives. You know, we try hard to get the sin out of our lives, but regardless of how hard we try, there's always going to be sin there. Always. But what happens when you instead, try and, instead of sucking the air out of the cup, you actually fill the cup up with something? And you fill the cup right up to the brim with water. What happens to the cup then? All the, the air in the cup then? It's all expelled, isn't it? It's all expelled. What uh, this reminds us of is that, uh, you know, the better way for us to get rid of sin in our lives is not necessarily to sort of try to, 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 to suck it out, if you like, but instead to fill our lives with something which is better. And, of course, that's Jesus, Jesus and his ways. And we do this by meditating on his word, by listening to the prompting of his Holy Spirit and obeying him. The Apostle Paul refers to this in Galatians 5 as walking by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. And he says, it's interesting Paul's words here, because he says that if we walk by the Spirit, if we keep in step with the Spirit, he says that if we do this, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Isn't that amazing? Paul says as we keep in step with the Spirit, as we walk by the Spirit, then we won't do this other stuff. See, what our eyes and our minds and our hearts are, captive by, are captivated by is that which we will follow and become like. And so in this we see that the Holy Spirit provides freedom and release from the power of sin in our lives. But can I say that it is, that it is limited by the degree to which the believer lives by the Spirit or is led by the Spirit of God? Because you see, when the Holy Spirit you know, in, uh, helps us to understand the Word of God and to see the way in which we should live lives that Christ has called us to, the people we are in him. But when, we, when the Holy Spirit reveals that to us and we see how we are to live, but we then, in fact, look the other way and instead seek to revel in our sin instead and instead to seek to go our own selfish ways, that is a profound offence to God. 
The Bible refers to this as resisting the Spirit and quenching the Spirit or even grieving the Holy Spirit. When God's plan and purpose, remember back in Ezekiel, when God's plan and purpose is to make sure that, that he uses us to lift up his holy name to those around about us, and we refuse to, do, to go down that path. We refuse to listen to God. We refuse to obey God. We refuse to be used by God in that, that wonderful and glorious life that he's called us to. That is a, that is a profound offence towards God and to his spirit. When we reject what the word of God has to say, when we turn our eyes from the spirit's exposure to our sin, when we say one thing as Christians and do another, we sin against the Spirit of God. But yet, the glorious news is that when we humbly acknowledge our sin, when we accept the truth, when we adore Christ, then we can be sure that the Spirit is at work within us to will and to act according to God's good purpose and his good pleasure in our lives. When we humbly come to him and confess our sin, and repent of our wrongdoing, we can be assured uh, anew that we are indeed the God's children. And that act in itself is uh, evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For the person who's trusted in Jesus for their salvation, they have this wonderful new position in Christ. It is not something that we can earn, but it, instead it is the gift freely given by God by his grace and it is confirmed in us by his indwelling spirit the same spirit who is now actively involved in changing our nature so that as these new creations in christ we are set free to live lives that honor him and appoint others to his glory and reflect who we truly are in christ that folks is a tremendous truth and i pray that that causes you to say praise be and thanks be to god today Praise God that the salvation of Jesus Christ comes with batteries included. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that as we stand here before you, we stand here first and foremost as recipients of your grace and mercy. And Lord, we thank you that your desire has always been to glorify yourself through sinful human beings such as us. And Lord, we thank you that you enable us to, to see that and to understand that and enable us to respond in faith and repentance to that. And I pray that if there's anyone today in this room who has not come to that place, I pray that you would impress upon their hearts your great love for them and your great purpose and plans for them in their lives. That, Lord, that you want to fill them with your Holy Spirit. You want to fill us all with your Holy Spirit. And you want us to walk in step with the Spirit of God and to be, to be uh, assured of as, as we see the evidences of that in our lives, we can be assured of, of the fact that you are with us, that we are indeed your children. Lord, help us to, to, to rest in you and to trust in you. But help us, Lord, also to respond in faith and obedience to the leading of your Spirit in our lives. Help us to be in the Word, and as we're in the Word, allow the Spirit to, to reveal to us more and more who we are in Christ and the people that he calls us to be, that we might reflect your glory to those around about us. 
Lord, we recognise that each and every one of us are at different stages in this journey. And Lord, I thank you that you call us to be a part of your family and that, Lord, you, you want to use each and every one of us in the family of God as we, as we rub up against one another and as we, as we interact with one another. Lord, you want to, to, to use even that to, to, to bring about that, that work of sanctification in our lives through your Holy Spirit. And we pray that we would be gracious towards one another. That, Lord, that we would see that, that Lord, that, 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 each, that you are at work in people's lives and, and that we need to, to, to be patient. We just need to be obedient and humble in that. And, and Lord, we need to, to make sure that as we look around about us, we're not seeking to judge. But we're not, instead, Lord, we're, we're seeking to see the work of the Spirit in the lives of those around about us and help us to encourage each other in that day by day. We thank you afresh this morning that the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ indeed comes with batteries included in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Amen.